Thank you. Be seated. You know, today is uh, really a treat for me. I've often called preaching is when a pastor goes into the kitchen and just keeps eating what Jesus is cooking until he can't, he can't take it anymore. He's got to take it out in the dining room and share it with other people, which is usually a sermon. And, but there's some people that come out of the kitchen with something that's just a little special. And uh, so we have a treat today because, Dave, come on up. Dave, uh, Choi, we met a couple of years ago, and it's one of those kind of relationships where there was just an instant friendship that formed in our relationship with one another. And uh, so I heard that he was coming to town. He's a pastor and is serving the Lord right now in Arkansas. When I heard he was coming here for the Titans game, I said, hey, Dave, why don't you preach, man? Give our people the word. And so he agreed to do that. So it's great to have you with us, man. So can I pray for you? Lord, um, I know, Father, that it's your Holy Spirit that reveals truth. It's not us that finds it. So we pray that you would reveal it and bless our friend as he uses the gifts you've given him to bless us. And, Lord, we pray that you would minister to him as you minister through him to us. And, Lord, open our hearts and our eyes to see you and experience you and leave here different than how we came on, came in. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Randy. Appreciate that. Well, it's good to be with you guys. Good morning. Um, I actually was, oh, sorry. Are you reading scripture? Okay, come up and read scripture. Yeah, I just got so excited seeing Randy's face. Um, yeah, go ahead and read scripture. Okay. This is Luke fourteen thirty-five to 15, 1 and 2. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I was so encouraged by the first service uh, and this service because um, I was told there's a Presbyterian church, um, and I've been to a lot of Presbyterian churches where they're super reserved, you know, and and the uh, first service, second service of worship was just so passionate. And so I, I was joking with the first service that I don't think this is a PCA church at all. I think it's like a <laughs> Baptocostal church. Um, but it's really, really been an encouragement just to be able to talk with people after the service as well. Um, I love your church, and I love your pastors. Uh, I love your elders. Um, God has really blessed you guys uh, with an, a unique, um, humble, gracious, um, genuine leadership. And so... Uh, this really is without question, and I've preached at a lot of churches in America. Um, this is without question probably my top two or three churches in America. Um, I say that because I have to say that my church is top two or three as well, so because um, they might be listening. But um, yeah, it's such a blessing to be with you guys. Um, I was told that I have 35 minutes to preach, but I'm Korean, so if, if you guys are going to be patient, uh, we preach for like an hour, okay? So, um, and we pray for another hour, so uh, we're going to be here for a while. Um, but I want us to open up to this scripture because, um, you know, when I get to guest speak, it really, I just like to just preach the simplicity of the gospel. And one of the things that you see in this text from the very end of this uh, chapter, which you guys know that there was no chapter divisions in the original manuscript. And so sometimes we forget the flow of uh, a story. And so he says, the last thing he says, he's talking about these large crowds that are traveling with Jesus, Right. And, you know, I always joke that Jesus is like the worst megachurch pastor because whenever he has like this megachurch, he preaches a sermon and it's down to like 12 people. And so there's a large crowds traveling, right? And he tells these, these uh, so-called disciples, he says, listen, if you, if you want to follow me, you got to hate your family. You got to hate them more than you hate, right? You, you got to hate them uh, in comparison to your love for me. And you, you also have to take up your cross daily 
and follow me. And then he says at the end of this section, um, let me just say one more time, you got to give up everything that you have to be my disciple. And at the end of the story, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So three times this idea of hearing is repeated in one sentence. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the very next sentence, right, in chapter 15, verse 1, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to what? To hear Jesus, which would have been a shock to that crowd because they would have expected the religious leaders, right? The Pharisees, the tax collectors, the theologians, the pastors, the missionaries, the small group leaders, the worship pastors, they would have expected those to be the ones who clamored to hear Jesus, right? Like who goes to the Gospel Coalition Conference? Well, it's, it's the pastors, right? It's the leaders. And, and, and so that's what you expect, but it's not them. When it came to the gospel, when it came to who Jesus actually, because Jesus is the gospel, right? When Jesus represented himself accurately and faithfully, it was actually the tax collectors and the sinners. It was the prostitutes and the pimps. It was the gangbangers and the dealers that were coming and being drawn to Jesus. And it was the religious people, it was the church people who were actually grumbling. That, that word grumble or mutter is, is the same word in the Greek Septuagint that's used when the Israelites grumbled against God, remember, in the, in the wilderness, And what's interesting is, as I've kind of preached in different contexts, I find this to be true. I find that the people that are most amazed when I preach the gospel to them are non-believers, are are people in in, in poor neighborhoods, are people who are in um, persecuted contexts. I remember one time I was preaching in uh, in a country in East Asia, which uh, would be considered closed. You can't; it's illegal to share the gospel. And I had the privilege to share at some underground contexts. Uh, these were uh, uh, unregistered uh, churches, and and I remember this was a, a pretty large, actually maybe the largest house church in China. And they had four to five services. So I was preaching at multiple services with translators. And this was the last service. It was also the smallest services for their college young adult group. And I'm preaching the gospel, and uh, it's, it's the exact same passage. Now, one of the things you have to know about me is I grew up in urban context. I grew up in Oakland, California, then I moved to Chicago. I've lived in New York, L.A. I've only lived in big cities until I just recently moved to rural Arkansas. Uh, that's a whole different story. Um, if you guys have any tips on how to do that, let me know. Um, and I'm preaching, and I can't tell any of my urban jokes because it doesn't translate, Right? And I'm trying to keep my message as simple as possible and using as simple words as possible so that she would know how to translate that from uh, English into Chinese. And uh, about 10 minutes into the sermon, she just stops translating. Now, I've translated, I've preached enough of these sermons that I know that sometimes they have trouble with the words, so I'm just waiting. Maybe they're going to, you know, maybe they're going to come up with the word so that she kind of, but nothing happens. 10 seconds go by, maybe 15 seconds go by. And I finally turned to her to see what was going on. I was actually annoyed. And she's crying. And this happened three to four times in that sermon, where just the simplicity of the gospel, like, like nothing that would have been advanced stuff, just the gospel, just that, just that a holy God welcomes sinners, that so moved this translator that she couldn't even interpret it, because she was so convicted by the beauty of grace. And so the question then is, well, well why is this happening in this context in a persecuted country? Why is this happening when I preach in the inner cities of Long Beach, Compton? And, and why is this happening in a certain context, but not necessarily in church contexts, where, where I literally preach at different conferences or churches and people come up to me? I've, I've literally had this happen, where someone would come up to me and say, hey, I heard you're the guest speaker. You don't suck. And I said, thank you for the encouragement. I hope you're good. I, ho- I hope you're worth our time, right? Because we feel entitled to that. 
And so this message to me really is the simplicity of why is it that we've forgotten the beauty of the gospel? Like, like this is, there's probably not many more gospel-centered churches than Midtown in, in America. There's probably not many. And, and I love the way that your people, uh, your pastors preach the gospel so clearly and they, they, they use their own stories and they're vulnerable about their own brokenness. It's such a beautiful thing. And yet even then, it's possible at least in my own life, I can preach the gospel and not find it beautiful in my own heart. So why is that? Well, the first thing I see in this text is um, because we forget who it is that welcomes sinners. So here are the Pharisees and they're grumbling against Jesus because he's always hanging out with sinners and he's always intimate with sinners. He's eating with sinners, which is in the Palestinian context to, to invite someone to their home was a sign of friendship. Like, it's almost like your family now. It's, it's, it's not just a meal. It's a, it's a beautiful, intimate relationship. And the Pharisees are angry at God because because religious rabbis, they they don't do that. They don't hang out with unclean people. They don't touch lepers, right, like Jesus did. And what they grumble to me is one of the most, maybe the most pithy statement of the gospel in in all the scriptures. This man welcomes sinners. That's the gospel, church. This man welcomes sinners. And some of us have forgotten who this man is. This man is Jesus, fully human and fully divine. Like, like that itself would take you years or decades to just even begin to plumb the depths of that, amen? And, 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 and so a lot of us, we forget who is, who is this Jesus. I remember when I was uh, growing up as a kid in California, um, I was a huge uh, Magic Johnson fan. I don't know if you guys remember it. The younger people get, the more they don't realize who the greatest point guard of all time was, Magic Johnson, right? <laughs> And uh, in my early 30s, my buddy uh, was uh, in Chicago, and he said, hey, Dave, um, Magic Johnson's coming to a department store in the suburbs of Chicago. Do you want to come? And I'm like, of course I want to come. This is my hero. I did a book report on him when I was a kid, and it's my hero. I used to play uh, Magic Johnson against Larry Bird, and you know, we'd always, I'd always hit the last second shot. Um, and so I remember just, just, just being so excited, and you had to buy one of his shoes, which I don't know if you remember his shoes. They were terrible, but you had to buy them to get uh, uh, like an autograph from him. And so we're in this department store, and it's called Meyer. I don't know if you guys are in Meyer department store. And anyway, it's about 350 people in this line. And I'm towards the back of that line. And this journalist for this newspaper uh, called the Elgin Courier, uh, which is the, the local suburban uh, newspaper, uh, she comes up and she interviews me. She says, are you a Magic Johnson fan? I don't know if it's because I was the only minority in the line, but she says, are you a Magic Johnson fan? And I got offended. I said, am I a Magic Johnson fan? I said, Irvin? Magic Johnson, born August 14th, 1959 in East Lansing, Michigan. He used to shovel the snow in the frozen tundra of a Michigan winter so he could play ball. Yes. I'm a ma- and she goes, you are going to be in my article. And uh, that's probably why some of you guys recognize who I am. Because <laughs> you. Elgin Courier. Circulation, five people. Anyway, so, so, so I literally was in the article. But anyway, I'm waiting in line. And we get to the front of that line. And I, have, I wrote a love letter to him, which I'm sure he read several times. And uh, I had this jersey to have him sign, so he signs the jersey. And right before I leave, I said, Magic, I just want you to know I'm a pastor. And uh, I just want you to know when I think about you, I'm going to pray for you. And uh, Magic Johnson stopped what he was doing. And uh, he looked into my eyes with deep love. You weren't there, so you don't know. All right? <laughs> and just gazed at my eyes with love. And he, he put his hand, his large, beautiful hands that had... <laughs> that had won many games in the NBA Finals, he put it right here, church. He touched me. And he looked me in the eyes with love, and he said, Dave, you're doing a good work. And I was like, oh my gosh. Pastor Randy, I don't know who ordained you. 
but Magic Johnson was my ordin. He ordained me, all right? My ordination is legit, okay? NBA Finals five times, champion, okay? And I remember my reaction, okay? I'm a grown man at this point, but I wasn't acting like it. I literally skipped through that Meyer department store with my buddy, and I was like, oh my gosh, he touched me. And I was changed. And I was changed for one reason, because of who it was that touched me and ordained me. If anyone else in that department store just randomly came up to me and touched me and said, hey, bro, you're doing good work, I'd have been like, bro, I don't know you like that. Don't touch me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would have been offended. You know what I mean? But because of who it was, I was changed. So that to this day, I still remember that moment. I will never forget it because of who it was. And I, I wonder when you walked into this church and we sang these songs, because some of those songs are lofty songs. And I wonder if there was any sense of awe that, that, that we could sing these to God. That the holy God would, would, would humble himself and send his son Jesus into this world and literally live that perfect life that we could not live and suffer that death that we deserve so that you and I could have him welcome us. Like, like, like Jesus was there in the beginning, the Bible says. Like I don't know if you've ever studied science I don't study a lot of it anymore, but I did as a kid, right? Hundreds of billions of galaxies, they say, in the known universe. They call it the known universe. You know why? Because the rest of it is the unknown universe. That's how vast it is. Hundreds of billions of galaxies. This man, this fully divine, fully human man, he literally spoke a word, and out of nothing, hundreds of billions of galaxies were formed. That, that Isaiah, who wrote, I think, 66 chapters of the Bible, one of the holiest men to walk this earth, when he saw a vision of Christ high and lifted up, literally he fell and said, I'm ruined, I'm dead, because I'm so unclean compared to you. And, and the angels themselves had to cover their faces and their feet and cry out on repeat, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full. That's this man. This is a holy, holy man. And he welcomes Sinners. That's the gospel. Have you forgotten who he is? The glory of Christ. The second part is, do you understand what the welcome means? Now in the Greek, there's a, a generic word for the word receive and welcome. It's just dekamai. And so you probably had greeters who greeted you when you walked into this church. And they, they may have said to you, hey, welcome to Midtown Fellowship. We're so, so glad to have you here. Thanks for coming. And it felt good, right? Like you've been to other churches maybe where you don't get that welcome and it's kind of awkward and you're like, you feel like, what do I do now, you know? But they welcomed you. I, I actually did it myself. I walked through and they opened the door for me. And, and that's a deck of mine. That's there's nothing intimate. You're not telling your deepest secrets, you know. Um, you're, you're not pouring out your, your shame. It's just it's good to see you. But with your best friends, maybe you haven't seen them in two, three years, and you're like literally your best friend, the one that you trust, the one that you know won't gossip about you, you haven't seen them in two to three years. They come and they land in Nashville Airport and you pick them up and you just hug them. And you go out to eat and you just talk story. You just share about what life is, you know, how life has gone and what's come your way and how it is raising your kids or whatever it might be. And then at some point, maybe you start to share a little deeper that my marriage is struggling or uh, I'm struggling with some of these things or my faith is just, it's just not in a good place. And you start to cry and you start to open up. And now you're not just decamai in a physical sense. You're prostecamai. You're intimately welcoming. You're sharing yourself with each other. These Pharisees, 
could have judged and condemned Jesus and said, you decamized sinners because Pharisees didn't decamize sinners, right? They avoided them. But, but they noticed and they observed Jesus. He, he actually eats with them. He shares the same bowls with them. He actually enjoys them. He actually shares life with them. It's a heart-to-heart intimacy. And I think a lot of us with the gospel, we've forgotten that after we got saved, God is, God is literally inviting us into the very heart of who he is. It's possible to know God intimately. It's possible to know him in a, in a way that you know your closest friend or your spouse, but not a lot of Christians are like that. Like, like I, I have to think about a, a small group of people, especially my mom. My mom is, she's 78 years old. She's fought through cancer three times. I mean, she literally is the greatest, most genuine, godliest person I know on earth. And I, and I remember just, my mom, my, my, my dad was abusive for 40 years of that 45-year marriage. And I pleaded with my mom to divorce him. And I felt like we had biblical grounds for her to divorce him. But she wouldn't because she felt like the Holy Spirit was telling her to stay in this marriage. And I remember as I would see him yelling at her and all these things, just so many stories. Just off the top of my head, I remember uh, one time where literally like she, she would say to me, she said, Dave, you know, God never really gave me a husband. So Jesus became my husband. And I knew it because of the way she lived her life. She would sing hymns. My whole life, I just grew up with her singing hymns at the dish, as she washed the dishes. Because Asians, we don't use dishwashers. We just use them as drying racks. <laughs> Right? First time I went to a white family, I was like, what is that? Why is, what is that sound, you know? And, and, and she would, she, I remember this other time she was depressed because my dad had, you know, yelled at her and I was living in New York City at the time. And my mom and I are very close and so she called me just depressed. It's one of the only times in my whole life I remember her being depressed. So I, I called my mom the next night after I prayed for her the, the day before. I said, mom, how are you? My heart was heavy. And she was joyful. I said, mom, what happened? You were just so depressed yesterday because dad, you know, and she said, well, I just spent three hours this morning and just read through Jeremiah, which is not an encouraging book. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit used Jeremiah to li- literally lift her spirits. And, and that was my whole mom, my mom's whole life. I, I, I could not, like four sons all tried to rebel from Jesus because my dad was an elder in the church and he was abusive. We tried to all leave Jesus, but we couldn't because we had a mom who literally was the greatest apologetic I was like, even, even if the church is jacked up, even if people are jacked up, like this life cannot be explained apart from Jesus. So there got, if there's no God, you cannot explain this life. That, that bothered us. Does that make sense? She was intimate. She, she understood the prostecomia of her father. The way she talks about God, I've never seen anyone talk. It's, it's, like, it's like he's in the room. And do you know, church, that if you are saved, that sanctification is not just so that you can avoid sins, it's so that you can know God. He wants to be known by you. The last thing before sin came to this world, they said about Adam and Eve, they were naked and not ashamed. That's what he wants. He wants you to be naked before God. And you don't have to be ashamed anymore because of Christ. You could talk to him about your addictions. You could talk to him about your brokenness, amen? You could talk to him about your struggles. You could talk to him about all the things in your heart that you're afraid to tell. And in a church like this, I really believe your pastors and elders would, would, would honor this. And if it, sometimes it just helps, for me at least, uh, to have someone else apply the gospel to me verbally. So I, I meet with a group of pastors, three of them, four of us t- t- together we, every week, and we share, I mean, deep. I mean, just, just all kinds of sins. I don't have any kids, and these are, I mean, if you met them, you would love them. But they're so real with me. 
and with each other. And so they'll talk about how they blew up with their kids. These are pastors who are afraid to say that to their congregation, so they share it with us. How they blew up with their kids and they just went in and they knew they, they should have stopped, but they just, they just couldn't control their anger. And, and they're ashamed and then we apply the gospel to them. And over, week in and week out, we just keep doing it. And we keep forgetting the gospel. Even though we preach the gospel to other people, we forget even as pastors. How much more do we in the congregation need that, amen, for each other? To be able to have a safe space where we can just say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. And then they remind you of the intimate welcome of Jesus. I was a mentor through a gospel curriculum called Sonship, which I, I think you guys, if you've been here for a while, you're probably familiar with. And my mentor was, uh, uh, he's now in his 80s, and he was, on a particular day, he, he asked me this question. He said, Dave, when you repent, what is the look on Jesus' face? And I, I had never, I never thought about that. That, that, that. That's when I knew that my repentance wasn't biblical, because I didn't even look at Jesus. I was just looking at my sin. Like, did I feel bad enough for a long enough time? Because that was repentance in my church growing up. I never knew that you're supposed to look at Jesus after. And so I said, I don't know. And he paused for a little while and he said, Dave, he smiles. In my head, theologically, I was like, I think that's right. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I think that's right. But my heart had a visceral reaction that said, no way. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know how jacked up I am. Like, I don't know about those other pastors. Those other pastors, they don't really sin, but me, like, I'm jacked up. Like, like, I'm just as worldly as everybody else, just as sinful, just as selfish, just as lustful. I remember one time I was at a pastor's prayer meeting, and uh, it was a gathering of a bunch of pastors in the Chicago area, and for my first time going there, and these other guys have been going for years, and at the end of the time, they were like, hey, uh, anyone have any prayer requests? And nobody had any prayer requests. So I said, I mean, I've been struggling with, like, lustful thoughts a lot lately, and there was just, like, this awkward silence, and that was the last prayer request. And then they all prayed for me. And I was like, am I, the am I the only one? Afterwards, my buddy came up to me and he said, yo, Dave, like, bro, making a splash on their first. I was like, how's that splash? I was like, but, but do you understand? Like, sometimes you feel like that, right? Where if I share this, I'm going to be the only one. It's going to be this awkward silence. No one's going to know what to do with that. That's like, that's too messy. And I just started pastoring in a small rural church in the south and I'm telling you, maybe it's because I'm vulnerable from the pulpit. I'm not sure, but people are sharing crazy stuff with me this last year. I've only been there for a year. Like literally, November 8th is, is a year now. And people are coming up to me with crazy stories of uh, affairs and, and addictions. And, and I'm like, you have not shared this with anybody, nobody, because they were too scared to share it. And this is a church that preached the gospel. Does that make sense? But the atmosphere was legalism. The atmosphere was performance. The atmosphere was perfectionism. And it's really hard to get rid of that because we are literally born legalists. And so Jesus is saying, well, I want all of you. I want your legalism and I want your immorality and I want all of that. I just want to know you. I want you to come before me naked. Because of the cross, I want you to know you don't have to be ashamed anymore. And when you do that, I'll smile. And the reason that I didn't understand or believe what he was saying was because I'd never experienced that in my life. Like, when's the last time you really messed up with your spouse or your friend or your kid? And you went to say sorry, and before you even said sorry to them, they just smiled at you. Anybody? It's like super silent. No, no, I, I think, <laughs> that's my wife, so yes. <laughs> but like most of us, right, like for me, I never experienced that. Like when I was growing up as a kid, a Korean-American kid, and I can see there's a lot of you guys out there. 
This is a Korean church, right, Randy? Okay, okay, because I want to make sure. And, and I, remember, I remember if I got a B plus, I literally would weep because I knew my dad was going to punish me. If I made any mistake, even if it wasn't a mistake that I knew of, there was disappointment and anger. But when's the last time you messed up and you looked at someone's face and there was a smile that you were just coming to them? That's God. That's Jesus. Every single time you repent, and, and the next story is, right, the prodigal son story, it, that's his heart. That, that, we don't get it. He looks over the horizon. He runs to his son. He literally throws himself on his neck. He kisses him. He, throws a, he, he puts a new robe and, and a ring on, and a new kicks on his feet, and he, he throws a, a party with him. He kills a fattened calf, which I didn't really know what a fattened calf was until I moved to Arkansas. <laughs> Those things are huge. <laughs> it's like bigger than a ribeye, Amen. And there's this, you see this extravagant grace and mercy for a broken sinner, amen? That's the gospel. That's the prostecomai of the Father. So, so we forget the beauty of the gospel because we forget who it is. So just study, study Jesus. Ask him, Holy Spirit, give me an insight into you and your glory, your attributes, so that I can be in awe of that. Number two, he, he intimately walks. He, he doesn't save you so that you can just... Be rescued from hell. He saves you so that you can be known and know him. You can actually know God intimately through Christ. It's possible, church. And then lastly, and this is my favorite, this man intimately my welcomes sinners. Like I know that you know that because you're a gospel people, but that's shocking to anybody else. Like when I share that to Muslims or when I share that to other people of other religions, it's literally, they, they can't get over, no. Then I try to explain to them, but this is what you want. Because we are sinners. We are failures. We are flawed. And, and I know so many churches that preach the gospel, and then they, they literally treat sinners like they're the worst possible people. I, I know so many sinners who would never step into a church, but they believe the gospel. And, and I pray that this church would be the kind of church that would not just preach it, but would actually live out that grace. To sinners. I remember when I was in, um, I went to a boarding school in Illinois called the Illinois Math and Science Academy. It was like this kind of nerdy school for, uh, for, for people in the state, and, and the state would pay for us. And then we had a 10-year high school reunion, and I was class clown at my high school, and the Lord radically changed me at Wheaton College, and so I became a pastor, and nobody knew that. This is before Facebook and all those things, right? So we're at the Sears Tower now called the Willis Tower, and, 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 and our, our, our school has super successful people, right? Like Ivy League people, people who you would know, if, the companies that they've started. And so I tell my church, I say, yo, I'm going to this 10-year reunion, and I'm just going to tell them about Jesus, all right? These are, you know, math and science guys. They don't, they don't really believe in, in, in religion. And so I go there, and I start sharing the gospel, and, and literally there's this crowd of people at one point, like eight, six, six, seven, eight of them around me just mocking me and saying, come on, Dave, you don't believe this religion crap. Like, come on, we believe in science. Come on, man, this, this is so ridiculous. And uh, so people I used to make fun of were making fun of me, and I felt pretty down. So I see my buddy, and he was a Christian, and, and so I go to him, and I say, yo, bro, like, how, how's your faith? I'm trying to get encouraged, right? And he says, well, I went to college and took a comparative religion class. I don't believe in that. I said, I said why? He said, well, because all religions are the same. Which, by the way, if you ask any good Muslim or any good Jew, like, they're not going to say that, right? So I was like, wow, in one semester, you became an expert on all five major religions. I said, so tell me, what's the same about them all? And he was like, he, he was just, he didn't know what to say. So I just, let, I just awkward, 30 seconds, just awkward. He's like, um, because everyone says that in America, all religions are the same, but they don't really know what it is. 
So after about 30 seconds, he goes, um, man's devotion to God. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. I said, you're right. That is all major religions, except for one, Christianity. Because the center of Christianity is not our devotion to God. Praise God. It's not how much you love God. Praise God. The center of Christianity is God's devotion to us before we were ever even loving him while we were sinners, while we were enemies of the cross. And I, re- I remember in that moment, his face like was like genuinely like in a good way confused. And I pray that the gospel would have got, gone into his heart through that. It's radically different. It's radically different. And it's, the more you study it, and I'm sure Randy and all the pastors here would agree, the more you study it and the more you study yourself, you're like, oh my God, how could it be any other way? There is no way for me to experience any kind of intimacy and vulnerability with anyone else apart from the gospel that says he welcomes intimately sinners like us. I remember I was a, I was a student at Wheaton College and I graduated years ago and uh, Wheaton College is kind of, it's a Christian college in Chicago, outside of Chicago, Illinois and there had been four revivals in the 20th century, 1936, 1943, 1950 and then 1970. There was a 20 year gap between those. In fact, if you, if you look at uh, the history of Wheaton College, a lot of the most important uh, alumni that you know about like Billy Graham, Jim Elliott, so forth, they were I think products of those revivals. 1970 hits a revival, and then nothing for, for 25 years. And so I remember being a part of this revival prayer, prayer ministry, and we were praying for revival. We had no clue what revival looked like. And I'm sure some of you guys right now are like, what does revival look like, right? Maybe you hear some of the more Pentecostal charismatic churches having revival where people are getting gold teeth, and maybe that's what it is, or maybe people are falling down, you know, all those kinds of things, right? Because this is a super Pentecostal church here. Anyway, so... Um, so one night, there's a, a missions worship night that we had every week, and it was kind of like the, the, uh, the new contemporary music, right? And there was like worship wars at the time where churches didn't want to do contemporary music. And so this was where 600 students would come out, 700 students would come out and just worship with contemporary praise, and a missionary would come in and speak. And so I went, this was my second time, it was like in March or April, it was my second time ever going, and for some reason I felt led to go. Then as I'm going there, I'm like, dude, revival's going to break out, and I'm totally joking. I have no clue what revival means. We get there, and these two students from um, Texas, uh, uh, from a school called Howard Payne University, it's a small Christian college, they come up, they had experienced revival, and so they shared their testimonies. And after they, their testimonies, worship starts at 7.30, about 8.45 or so, they open up the mics and say, if anyone wants to just share, testify, confess any sins, just come up, right? So a guy comes up, he shares general sins, and then the second guy, as I remember, it comes up, and he starts sharing really specific sins about masturbation pornography. And I felt like the Holy Spirit just broke, and then until 6 a.m., the lines just filled up with students from Wheaton College. Now, Wheaton College is like, it's like, I mean, you're talking like literally famous people's kids are at the college, right? And I remember uh, just hearing all these sins, and like people were, uh, it, it lasted throughout the week. It lasted till Thursday night. In fact, it got so big, we had to move to a church nearby because so many people started coming and confessing till 3.30 every night. We had school still, right? I remember around 4.30 a.m. I left to go to, uh, to my dorm because I was so tired. And, and this guy was leaving the dorm that I was in my floor. And uh, I said, yo, Eric, what are you doing? He's like, dude, I don't know. God just woke me up and told me to go to Pierce Chapel, which is where the revival was happening. I said, like, you have no idea what's happening? Like, God just told you that? He's like, yeah. I said, bro, that's crazy. Just make sure you go there because the Holy Spirit's moving in really significant ways. 
And people started to confess, like women started confessing, which at that time, you know, no one confessed this stuff, but women were confessing struggles with masturbation and, and pornography. And men were confessing those same things. And people were confessing that they'd given up their virginity. And, and uh, people were struggling with homosexuality. And people were throwing up porno- pornographic magazines and drugs onto the stage. These were Wheaton College students. Like even I was shocked. I was like, whoa. And all throughout the week, every single night, people were just confessing. Even during the day, people were praying and confessing. It was, it was literally like, it felt like heaven. And, and there's so many things I could share, but all, all I'll say is when people ask me, what was it like, Dave? Like, ex- like summarize that week. What was the revival like? And this is what I tell you. It was a spirit of God taking the gospel and applying it in, in real people's lives. That's it. That's all it was. If the spirit of God is present, because he's always present when the gospel is there, especially when it's manifest, when it's applied. When the spirit of God takes the gospel and literally goes from head to heart and you actually start living it out, it literally felt like heaven. If you ask any Wheaton alumni from that time, and I'm talking, we talk about this to this day, so many of them ended up becoming missionaries and pastors. And I remember the last night we had worship, because the, 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 the confessions finally ended and there was a time of testimony. And literally, like, I used to remember, I don't know if you guys, how, how many guys grew up in church as, as a high school kid? Anybody? Okay. So I grew up in church and I remember the pastor would come in all the time, the evangelist, and say, this is what heaven's going to be like. We're going to sing praises forever. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, we didn't even have Hillsong back then, you know what I'm saying? We just had Vineyard, right? And Hosanna. You guys remember that? And I remember like thinking like, I like songs for like two, two, two songs, three songs max. You know what I'm saying? Maybe some motion songs, they're fun, but forever. <laughs> and I remember sitting there like, we, we, we uh, had this time of worship and then an altar call for those of us called to full-time ministry. And I remember it literally felt like a second. For two hours, we worshiped God and it literally, it felt like it was just, like time just stopped. And the presence of God was so manifest. Why? Because the spirit of God loves it when communities of faith apply the gospel to sinners. To sinners. And we are so gifted at hiding our sin. We're like born trying to to lie. We're born trying to appear to be holier than we actually are. And I pray that this would be the kind of church that would say, you know what? At this church, because this man prostec my sinners. And if he's the head of this church, then we as leaders, we also need to prostec my sinners. And so can I challenge you guys, if you're in a small group or if you know a pastor here or if you have a friend that you trust, hey, if you're, if you're struggling with addictions, if you're struggling with secrets, just, just talk about it. This is a safe place. I really believe the elders and the pastor of the church are trustworthy, gracious gospel men. Just talk to someone. Talk to a sister if you have some struggles, and, and, and then allow that person to apply this gospel to you. Like, like, like the Father, the Holy One, he, he looks over the horizon. He sees you addicted. He sees you struggling, and he literally is waiting for you to just turn towards him. Just turn towards him, and he will literally book towards you. He will run towards you. He will throw his arms on you. And all you'll see is a smile on his face, and you will feel the intimate restoration and the joy, the welcome of the good, good Savior, Jesus Christ. Now lastly, I just want to say this. Why is that? Why is it possible that the Holy One, who literally 
Do you remember, like, every read the Old Testament where this dude, like, the ark is starting to, like, kind of fall off? And he just, he just tries to save you. Like, like, I feel like I would have done that. As a good Christian, I've been like, I don't want that ark to fall. Bro just evaporated. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like, you don't even remember his name, right? Like, he just evaporated. Like, no one ever saw him again. And it's, it's because he's so holy that that's why it, it bothers us, right? Because we don't know what holiness is. Come on, God, just take it easy. But you, you don't know. Sin cannot get near holiness. It literally is destroyed. That's us. We deserve to be evaporated. We deserve to be sent to hell and, and, and experience the wrath of God for all of eternity. That's what we just, that, like that's what a good God deserves to give to us. But there was a savior, this man, who came into this world and lived a perfectly obedient life every single second of his life, not for one second did he ever think of a self-centered thought. And he traded his reward, eternity in heaven with the Father with no punishment, with your just punishment, eternity under the wrath of God. And he went to the cross and substituted himself in your place. And literally the father who he loved turned his face and it was a face of wrath on his son. So that you and I would never, if we're in Christ, endure condemnation or wrath again. Do you know that? Never. Consequences of sin, yes, but never the wrath or condemnation of God, ever. Because Jesus took that and it was finished. And now... He purchased for us because of our sin credited to him, his righteousness credited to us, the eternal smile of the holy God, despite the fact that we mess up every day. For every single moment of your life into all of eternity, if you're in Christ, all you will see is a smile of the Father. Let's pray. And I'm just gonna do what I do with my church every week. Just take 30 seconds just to respond in prayer, however you feel led. If you're not a believer yet, please take this time to just turn your heart to Jesus. Turn your heart to the gospel as your only savior. And then I'll close us in prayer before we close out in songs. So Heavenly Father, first of all, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for this church. I thank you for Midtown Fellowship. I thank you so much for Pastor Randy and for all the pastors here, Lord God. I thank you that they love the gospel. I thank you that the gospel is not only being preached but exemplified. And I just, because of that, Lord, I pray earnestly for this church, God that your Holy Spirit would captivate the people of this church with grace, with the gospel, with Jesus Christ, that they would literally experience the prostecomai of Jesus every day of their lives, God, and they would fall so deeply in love with Christ and that it would exude every bone and every cell of their body so that Nashville 
and the surrounding area would literally be able to smell the aroma of grace in this place and through the people of this place, Lord. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said,